Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, if anything that I'm about to share with you is of interest and you would like to follow up on it, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org where you will find all of the links that we're about to share. Let's jump in with our first piece, House Passes Landmark Bill. The Washington Blade reported on the U.S. House passing the Equality Act, which would add sexual orientation and gender identity to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That would mean protections from discrimination in places like healthcare settings and employment. Advocates note that despite progress, including the Supreme Court's Bostock decision, 29 states do not have complete LGBT non-discrimination laws on the books. There are definitely more that have uh, laws protecting people with respect to sexual orientation than there are with respect to gender identity. There are also some states that have, for example, laws or policies that the government can't discriminate in in employment against those groups. Um, But there are, uh, yeah, 29 states that still don't have just clear, simple laws saying that that discrimination is illegal. So definitely good to see something moving forward at the federal level. Next up, trans-inclusive care in family planning clinics. Researchers led by Natalie Ingram explored the integration of gender-affirming care at family planning clinics. They found that many clinics who have done so were motivated by requests from existing patients to add that gender-affirming care, uh, as well as recommendations from community members and even their own staff advocating on behalf of trans individuals. They also found that only about 10% of nationally networked clinics have begun to offer gender-affirming care. More than double of that, 21% of independent clinics are doing so, which for me was an interesting finding because you would think that maybe nationally networked clinics would have more access to kind of resources. Um, they mention in the article that a lot of protocols and policies already exist, so you know organizations don't have to feel like they are reinventing the wheel here. Um, so it's interesting that the independent clinics they found uh, in analyzing their websites and services were more likely to be offering gender-affirming care. In our next story, a new treatment could address LGBT meth epidemic. NBC News reported on a new treatment to help individuals stop methamphetamine use, an issue that is four times more prevalent among gay men than it is among their heterosexual peers. The treatment, which was recently uh, involved in a study, involves a pill uh, taken daily as well as an injection every three months, and it's meant to reduce one's desire to use methamphetamines. There's no current uh, treatment uh, that's similar to this on the market, which I found to be interesting that there's not, you know, some some kind of a, a medication, a, a, a treatment like this to help people be able to quit. So um, definitely interesting. And, you know, the article kind of explores um, how and why this is happening in, in the LGBT community. So uh, definitely interesting to see some movement forward on uh, on treatment being available. Our next story looks at sexual orientation data among veterans. Researchers led by Christine Lynch found that within the Veterans Health Association, 
over the course of 20 years, most documentations of a patient being a sexual minority came from a mental health provider. That was close to 60% of those documentations in the medical files were from mental health providers. Under 10% uh, of such documentations came from primary care providers. And this reveals a really big gap. And um, I think it's, you know, probably resulting from the fact that in primary care, um, whether that's in a, a veteran system or in healthcare in general, we often don't have a, uh, a sense among providers that that's something that needs to be asked and documented, even though it's so relevant to our, our health. And we have a lot of people who feel uncomfortable mentioning it, especially if they're not asked in kind of a systematic um, in, in confidential way. So definitely interesting to see this big gap coming up in a, in a study with a, a lot of records to go through. They also, not too surprisingly, found that documentations of sexual minority uh, status increased a lot between 2000 and 2018, of course, as people became more comfortable coming out, and we saw some shifts in how uh, the, the law treats um, LGBT service members. They actually found a sevenfold increase during that time, so that's a, a huge um, increase in documentations. Um, which obviously either means more uh, sexual minorities who are part of the system or more likely that they're being asked and feeling comfortable coming out. And our next story, Queer Foster Care History Explored. The New Yorker reported on untold stories of how private child welfare offices and even some government agencies began to, quote, quietly place, unquote, gay foster children with gay foster parents in the 1970s, despite significant stigma and obstacles facing um, both queer prospective parents and queer youth. In 1982, New York became the first state to have a non-discrimination rule for sexual minority adults who were looking to adopt. It's interesting in the article because there's so much back and forth. It's not a clear path towards um, towards non-discrimination and acceptance, which we haven't arrived at uh, today entirely. Um, but it's definitely kind of up and down with, with a lot of uh, small changes and some behind-the-scenes stuff and just interesting ways that people uh, found to make a difference and make sure that youth who were facing discrimination uh, made it to parents who were also facing discrimination. And in our final story of the week, LGBT organizations funded for COVID outreach. The Bay Area Reporter shared examples of LGBT uh, organizations being funded to provide services during the COVID-19 pandemic. For example, uh, one of the LGBT community centers in California received funding, and they plan to conduct outreach to the community to help answer questions about vaccination, connect folks to uh, COVID-19 testing and resources, and more. So great to see that, um, that this uh, trend of LGBT centers doing so much is continuing now that we're at the point of uh, vaccinating folks. And there's a lot of concerns and doubts um, based on some historical mistrust in LGBT communities and communities of color. So this kind of outreach and helping people connect to the information um, so that they feel safe going and getting tested, going and getting vaccinated, um, that's really important. And if you want to check out what your local LGBT center is doing, you can go to lgbtcenters.org slash lgbtcenters. That brings to a conclusion another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, if you are interested in following up on anything that I have discussed during the podcast, you can head to blog.lgbthealthlink.org where we have everything linked. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another edition of our Roundup.